Uh, We're going to be in Luke chapter 12 today. We'll get there in a few minutes, but if you brought your own Bible and you want to follow along with us, uh, Luke chapter 12, as you're doing that, how many of you made New Year's resolutions this year? Uh, We got any new, okay, New Year's resolutions, New Year's plans. Uh, How many of you are off to a great start? Like, all right, good, let's give them a hand. You know, I mean, they're off to a great start. That's good, way to go. How many of you have, well, you've, it's over. Like, I mean, it, you know, it was a great idea. Anybody willing to be honest today? Put your hand up. We'll, we'll thank you for being honest. All right, we've got some honest people uh, in the back. You know, I, I was reading this past week. One guy says that the problem with our New Year's resolutions and our goals and plans is that we set the bar too high. Uh, we set our expectations way too high. And so instead, we need to, to bring those down. We need to be a little bit more realistic. And, and so he says something like this. Instead of saying, I'm going to go to the gym and exercise every day in 2012, you say something like this. I'm not going to drive, but instead walk through the drive through at the fast food restaurant of my choosing. You know, that's the way that I'm going to do it. All right. I mean, that's how it goes. And instead of, you know, saying, hey, I, I'm not going to yell at anyone when they cut me off on I-69 anymore, you might not say, I'm not going to put down my window and yell at anybody on I-69 in 2012. Again, it's about lowering expectations, uh, baby steps for us. Well, we're a few weeks into this new year, and I know that there are a lot of people working on changes and goals and plans, uh, new habits, uh, new directions for your life. Uh, what are the, some of those most popular resolutions that people uh, invest in today, make today? Resolutions having to do with getting in shape right, uh, maybe making better choices financially. Uh, maybe you want to break a habit or establish some new practices. Uh, if you're in college, you know, that old resolution of actually going to class, you know, that, that's a good resolution uh, for, for everyone to make. We all do these sorts of things. These, again, are some of our more popular resolutions. But I've got one to add to your list. And it's a resolution uh, that I have for my life. Uh, it's a resolution for you, a goal for you in 2012, whether you've already put your list together, uh, whether you're really into this or not. Uh, my goal for you, uh, my goal for me, my, my, my prayer for each of us is this one in 2012, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down, is that you and I, that we would make Jesus Christ the Lord of our life. Uh, that you would be able to say that Jesus Christ uh, is the Lord of my life. Now, before you qualify or disqualify yourself here, uh, let me just be clear of of what it means to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you know, because that statement ought to be at the heart of every person who claims to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, it's like the song that we just sang. He, He demands all of us, not just part of us. I mean, we sang those words together. He demands all of us uh, as we live our lives for him. And we're going to talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus uh, a little bit more directly as we get into February. We're going to talk about it here on Sunday mornings. And many of our connection groups are going to be talking about this same item of what it means to be a follower together. But Jesus as Lord of your life. Uh, Let let me just kind of qualify this for us. You know, we've all got work to do in this area. Every single one of us has room and work to do in this area. And for some of you to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, uh, to surrender him to him, that that next step for you is to to trust him. It's to put your trust in Jesus. It's like the 21 people that were baptized here last week. I mean, it was a public statement that they are trusting Jesus Christ with their life. And and for some people, that might be your next best step. And that's what we're praying for you. And, and maybe 2012 will be the year that you surrender fully and completely and absolutely to Jesus. But Jesus as Lord of your life, what does that mean for everyone else? I mean, what does that mean for those of us here today who have put, you know, your trust in Jesus? Here's why I believe that every single one of us has work to do in this area. 
I believe that it's possible for you to put your trust in Jesus and to trust him with eternity and trust him with forgiveness and, and, and call yourself a Christian and all. But it's one thing to trust him and it's another thing to make him the Lord of your life. To say that you are absolutely, completely and wholeheartedly leaning into him and for him for all things. That, that he is your priority. To make him the Lord of your life means that he is your leader, that he is your greatest desire, and that everything that you do in every area of your life, you do it to bring glory and honor to his name. It's a heart issue. I mean, it really is, and you're going to hear me say that a lot this morning and hear us say this over the next couple of weeks. It's a hard issue for us because it's possible to trust Jesus with your eternity but never fully surrender your heart and your will to him. And Jesus knew this, and he realized this. He knew this 2,000 years ago, and he knows that it's still true for us today. In fact, Jesus is very clear on this matter as he recognized, he realizes that his chief competition 2,000 years ago, and even today, the chief competitor for your heart and my heart, more times than not, it's money. More times than not. I believe the chief competitor for your heart and for my heart and where we stand with God, it comes down to money. It's a finance issue. It's a resources issue for us. And it's why Jesus talked about money more than anything else in all of Scripture. He knew even 2,000 years ago, he recognized that money was his chief competitor for your heart. And it's often the one thing that stands in the way of both your heart and in my heart. In, In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus was teaching on this. Here's what he said. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. See, money has a tremendous influence in our lives, doesn't it? I mean, come on, we can all agree on that. I mean, it really does. It affects our moods and our attitudes in so many different ways. I mean, it does in mine. And again, God is smart enough to recognize that his primary competition for your absolute trust and my trust comes in this issue of money. And so in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus is talking about money. Here's what he says. He says, you can't serve both God and money. And basically he's saying they they both can't be the Lord of your life. It's one or the other and you have to choose. And this is a good reminder for us that Jesus isn't going to settle for being in the top 10 in your life. He's not going to settle for that. And he didn't die on the cross so that he could be part of your life. He died on the cross to be your life. And that's in his will and his desire for you. It's what it means to make him the Lord, the leader of all things. And so the question that I have for you as we begin today, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down, is this one. Is Jesus Christ the Lord of some of your life? Or is he the Lord of all of your life? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on that one, but I I want you to answer it. And be truthful because he knows. But is Jesus Christ the Lord of some of your life or is he the Lord of all of your life? Who comes first? Is it God or is it money? Let me tell you why I know this to be a relevant issue for us today, all Christians. You know, researchers will tell you that in America today, Christians in the church today, on average, somewhere between 3 to 7% of Christians tithe. 3 to 7% of Christians faithfully return to God the 10% that already belongs to Him. The tithe that He has commanded us as followers of Jesus Christ to return to Him through our giving to our local church. And I asked our finance team to do some research on this for us as a church. And I'm just going to tell you up front that we've got to make you know, some assumptions in this area. And these are very conservative estimates. But how are we doing as a church? How are we doing as Christians? 5%. But on average, 5%, you know, of Christians, you know, maybe you call Genesis Church their church, tithe. 
And so we launched this series today called My Money, My Life because I think the attitude for so many of us, and I think we're all guilty of this at times, so many people today is that we like Jesus and we like the message and we like what he did for us and we like forgiveness and we like grace and we find a church that we like, but when it comes to money, our attitude is, well, it's my money. And because I'm willing to say or because I'll say, well, it's my money, then what I'm really saying is, God, this life doesn't completely belong to you. There's still a portion of it that belongs to me. And so it's my money and it's my life. And over the next few weeks, I, I want to talk with you about an important step here, you know, because I, I believe that, that, you know, I believe we all want to be able to surrender. I, want, I believe we all want to be able to say, you know, Jesus Christ, you are indeed the Lord of my life and all things. And so uh, over the next few weeks, I want to talk with you about an important step that I think every one of us has some room to grow in and some more than others, but it's an important step towards full surrender. And it might mean the difference between you being able to say that Jesus, you are the Lord of some of my life and Jesus, you are the Lord of my life, that I am trusting in you completely and absolutely for everything. The next big step for some of you, and I believe the next step for us here today is in this area of tithing and giving, because tithing is an act of obedience. Tithing is an act of trust. It's, it's getting us off in the direction of being able to say that Jesus Christ, you are Lord of all in my life. Now, I know that every time that we talk about money, it raises some, some concerns and temperature and fears and anxiety. And, and, and there's probably someone here today, and you brought a friend today, and you're like, no, I mean, of all weeks, you know, for me to bring my friend, I can't believe you're talking about money today. Well, can I just set your minds at ease for a moment? Because if you're here today, and you're visiting, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get a free pass in this. I mean, you really do. You get to watch everyone else squirm, all right? I mean, you get the privilege of, of just kind of sitting back and thinking about, okay, what, what do I think of that? How does that sound? And you know what? On your way home today, ask your friend about it. You know, ask them what their opinion is. Ask them how they're doing, you know, in this area. But we're not going to apologize for talking about this topic of money. And if you're already frustrated or upset because you anticipated that that's what we were going to talk about today or because we're talking about, I'm just going to say that it's probably a hard issue for you. I mean, it really is. And every time the subject of money comes up, it's like the Holy Spirit is starting to do some heart surgery on you. And let's just be honest, heart surgery hurts. But until you're willing to surrender, until you're able to surrender this portion of your life to you, it's going to hurt. And it takes some time and it takes some work and it takes some effort so that we can say, Jesus, you're not only the Lord of some, but you're the Lord of all of my life. And if Jesus isn't first in your finances, he's not the Lord of your life. I mean, he's not that for you right now. So I'm going to tell you right up front, my challenge for you today uh, is going to be to tithe. My challenge for you in 2012 is for you to make a commitment to tithe. Uh, that you'll be, you'll be willing to take that step. I believe the Bible teaches that every single one of us that know Jesus Christ as Savior, that we are to set aside a portion, 10% of our income, and return it to the local church. And so that's going to be my challenge for you in 2012. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more specifically in a few minutes. But I want you to understand that my motivation is not to get your money. I don't care if you give to Genesis Church. You know, we're, we're going to be back here next week and the week following no matter what, and we're going to keep doing the work that God has called us to do. I don't want something from you, but I do want something for you. And I want every person here to come to this place in their life where it's full surrender and it's full trust. And that's what God's after too, that because when you and I can say this and when you and I are demonstrating this in our actions, in our giving, especially in the area of finances, well, who can describe what it means to trust God completely? And who can describe what it means to, to know the joy and the blessings and the peace and the freedom that is promised to those who fully and completely trust God? Who can explain that? 
And so I want every person here to be able to take one step over the next few weeks of, of moving away from it's my money, my life, to being able to say, you know what, God, it's your money. It all belongs to you. And this life that I'm living, it's fully sold out to you. It's everything for Jesus. And that's what I'm striving to do. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 12 together. Uh, where Jesus talks about money and giving. He had a lot to say on this subject, and so let's pick it up in verse 15. Here's what Jesus said. He says, watch out. All right, there's an exclamation point there. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus' words. I mean, notice that nothing much has changed in 2,000 years. Jesus says, you know what? Life is not made up of how much you can accumulate or the stuff that you can possess. And this was a huge temptation then, but it's still a huge temptation today. I mean, Jesus says, watch out. Watch out for greed. Why? Because it's a heart issue. You know, it gets in the way of that absolute trust. And what role does it play in our lives? Well, when I'm greedy, and when I want more, and when I need more of something or want something, well, then I begin to transfer that trust away from God, and I put it into other things. Now, there was a book written a few years back, uh, a book written entitled Your Money or Your Life. And this team went out and did some research with hundreds of people and they asked them all kinds of questions about whether they were happy or whether they were miserable. And, and as they asked him, miserable was a one on a scale of one to five, a joyous or happy was a five, and then three was a cannot complain. Cannot complain. And what they found was really interesting was that it didn't matter what people made they all on average fell into the group of about a 2.6 to 2.8. And again, it had nothing to do with income. And so when they asked him, well, what would it take from you to say move from a 2.6 to a 3.0 or something? You know what the response was over and over again? More money. If I could just get a little bit more money, then I wouldn't be able to complain. And again, it didn't matter how much they made because in every situation it was the same thing. And the truth is that we have a lot today. I mean, if, if you look at some of the, the figures, the average American family has decreased in size over the last 50 years, but square footage of homes has just absolutely blown up. I was reading this past week that there's something like 2 billion square feet of storage space in the United States today. 2 billion square feet of storage of things that don't fit in our houses. I mean, and are people more happy because of it? I'm not sure. And so in Luke 12, Jesus, he starts into this story. He tells this story, a parable uh, from a guy with stuff, his perspective. And he tells this parable beginning in verse 16. Let's pick it up. He says, and he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, I want you to notice the very specific words that this man chose. He says, I will store all my grain. I will store all of my goods and I'll say to myself, I mean, I just want you to see the attitude in this man is it's about his money and it is about his life. He's got a focus problem. All right. He's got a heart issue here. And and the problem isn't that he had too much. Again, it was the condition of his heart. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 20 there, then God said to him, Jesus said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? See, money's not the problem, all right? Money is not evil. I mean, look at the Bible. Job had great wealth and Abraham had great wealth and Solomon and David were kings and and, and they were rich. I mean, they all had great wealth. Wealth is not the problem. 
I mean, wealth can be a blessing from God, but understand this, for every verse in the Bible that says that money or wealth is a blessing from God, there are like five that warn of the dangers and the lure of money. Because again, God realizes that it's the chief competition for your heart and for your life And that's why Jesus warns us. And so when it comes to money and when it comes to wealth and when it comes to resources, and write this down in your notes, I I think something that we can all learn is this one, that it all comes from God. Everything that you and I have, everything that we possess, it all belongs to God. It all comes from Him. Not just 10%, but everything that you have. And maybe that's a breakthrough place for you. I mean, maybe that's what you're going to have to wrestle with even as you leave here today, that it all belongs to God. And it's only through His grace that we have what we have. And this is an important reminder you know, to those who have trusted Jesus Christ with their life and really want Jesus to be Lord of all. But at at times we're like, you know, God, I'm into you and I love what you do and I love the message and and I love serving and I love your church and I love all these things. But, But when it comes to the financial side of things, I know better. I mean, I can trust you with everything else, but when it comes to money, when it comes to my finances, well, I think I just know better in this issue than you do. I'll attend church on Sundays, I'll watch my language, I'll watch my living, and I might spot you a 20 now and then, but you are God, but when it comes to money, it's my money. And if I say that it's my money, what I'm really saying is that it's my life. And so Jesus talks here and in other places about the dangers of a lure of money and what it does to to our heart. And I want to skip a few verses here in Luke 12, but we're going to come back to them again in a few minutes because I want to get to the part where Jesus begins to tell us what our living ought to look like. All right, what he expects, what he demands of his people. I mean, what does Jesus suggest be the next step in moving more towards him as able to say, Lord of all? And what actions must we take? Because we know, or at least I know, that sometimes your heart won't follow until your actions get moving. You know, your heart kind of comes on behind. And so in Luke 12, verse 31, Jesus just says this, but seek his kingdom. But seek his kingdom. And remember, he's talking about money and he's talking about possessions here. And he's saying, hey, don't get caught up in the dangers of possessions and accumulations and how you're going to pay for things and putting your faith in money. Instead, seek his kingdom in everything. You know, this word seek in the Greek language is a present imperative. It it means a constant, continual seeking and searching movement towards God in all things. Can you see how it's a practice? And even as we get to tithing, this an over and over and a step by step in seeking God in all things, that he comes first in all things. He's implying that as his disciples, his kingdom and his purposes should be our greatest concern. And they should come first. And then in verse 32, he says, Do not be afraid, little flock. And I'm shortly, slightly offended that he calls us little flock there. Uh, but he says, Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Now, Jesus is starting to get into the practical stuff here, the practical items. And here's what he says. Hey, here's what it means to follow me. Here's what it means to live the life that I have called you to. Be generous. Give to the poor. Help others out. Don't live life from a worldly or a temporary perspective, but live with an eternal perspective. Be generous. Be givers. And Jesus is basically saying, and we all know this, that good can, money can bring out the good in people and it can bring out the bad in people, right? I mean, isn't that true? I mean, money can bring out the good and, and the bad. And, and when we're greedy and when we desire and we want to accumulate and take care of ourselves, well, then our focus is on things other than God. Or, or we might trust God this much, but because of the money issue and the control issue that we have, you know, there's just this great gap and there's this great difference. But when we're giving, 
And when we're surrendering and we're continuously seeking, we're investing in God's kingdom. Well, that just says something about the direction of your heart. doesn't mean that we've arrived. I mean, we'll always be on a journey to be more and more like Jesus. But when you're giving to Him and when you're being generous and when you're trusting Him with the financial side of things, well, it's just saying, hey, my desire, my intention, and my goal is really to make you Lord of all. And then in verse 34, Jesus wraps up this section here with an important verse, a verse that we've all heard before, but it's so telling. He just says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And and I think if Jesus were here today, I, I think he'd say it something like this. I think he'd say, there's a good chance that I could look at your bank account and I could tell you where your heart is. There's a good chance that I could look at what you do first when you get paid and I could tell you where your heart is. I could tell you what the trust issue is like. You know, what do you treasure? I mean, is Jesus Christ the Lord of some of your life right now or is he the Lord of all of your life? Again, that's your question, my question to wrestle with. But here's what I want. Here's why I'm hopeful. See, I believe that we all want this. I, I, I don't... I don't really believe that there are a lot of people here today that are just so greedy that they're not willing to give. But I mean, maybe, you know, outside of here and in other places, sure, there might be people like that. But I believe we all want to be generous, but it's just, it's difficult to get started, right? I mean, it's hard. I mean, I know the fear. I know the anxiety that comes with it. But my challenge for you, my challenge for you today is to start tithing in 2012 of just draw a line and take that first step. And it's not because you can buy God's love. You can't do that. And it's not because you could buy or earn his favor in any ways. I mean, that, that's unconditional. We already get that when we come to him. But tithing says, God, I want to honor you. I am trusting you. And I recognize that everything that I have, it belongs to you. And as a result, I am returning a portion of what you've already given to me. And this giving is, a, again, it's an indicator of the direction of our heart. It's an indicator of what we want, where I, we want our heart to be. So what's tithing? I want to just real quickly just go through a few things with you when it comes to what's tithing because I don't want to assume that we all know what it is. But I want to tell you what tithing is according uh, to Scripture. And then, uh, and I just want to tell you right now, I'm not going to fancy it up with a bunch of cute stories or anything like that. And we're going to move through this kind of quickly. But if you're taking notes and you want to write this down, and I don't think there's a blank for this, but you can write this on the side. A tithe means a tenth. It's math. I mean, the word tithe simply means tenth. It means 10%. It's returning to God a tenth of what you make and giving it back to the local church. It's taking 10% of what you earn every two weeks or every month and returning it to wherever you call your local church. And remember, it all belongs to him. But he gives us a tenth. He gives it to us as a starting point. I think it's almost like, I know you're going to ask about where to start, so I'm just going to give you a tenth. And in the ancient world, a tithe meant a tenth of everything that you earned or made or possessed. And so it was 10% of your produce, flour, grain, silver, or gold. And this idea of firsts, not leftovers, goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 4 when the Bible says that Cain brought an offering to the Lord. But when Abel brought his offering to the Lord, he gave from his firsts. He gave from his best at the very beginning. And so God was pleased with his offering. He was displeased with Cain's offering because Cain gave out of his leftovers. Uh, In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham gave a tenth of what he had to the priest, Melchizedek. Uh, Jacob gave a tenth of what he had. In Exodus 12, 13, and 14, we read about the Passover and about this idea of bringing your firstborn son to be consecrated before the Lord, which makes way for the Old Testament law to come along and say, hey, here's what living looks like. Here's what this practice looks like. 
like of bringing offerings, of bringing tithes, you know, to the tabernacle, to the temple, to your place of worship. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, 11, it says, Then to the place your Lord, the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. Now, I know that sounds a little confusing, but what they're basically getting at is, hey, wherever you worship, all right, they, there you are to bring everything I have commanded you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes, there's the tenth, and special gifts and all the chief possessions you have vowed to the Lord. And then the prophet Malachi comes along a long time later, and he speaks for God saying it this way in Malachi 3.10. He says, bring the whole tithe, 10%, into the storehouse, again, the place of worship, that there may be food in my house. And then get this, and this is my favorite part, and we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. And then God jumps in and says, you know what, test me in this. It's the only place in Scripture where God tells us to test him. And says, and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing in your life that you won't be able to count it. And God tests us in this. There's, there's something on the return uh, in our giving. Now, how much? The whole tithe. And, and it's not just Old Testament talk. Scholars say that by the time the New Testament came around, it was just assumed amongst the Jewish people what the tithe was and that we were to do it. And so then Jesus steps in and he goes beyond that and he begins stretching people's hearts even more. And he says, you know what? I'm going to talk to you about generosity, not only about the tithe, but about giving over and above and giving in such a way that everything belongs to God. And you give to him to please him in all that you do. And so in Matthew 6, 33, Jesus said, again, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We take this scripture out of context all the time. But when Jesus said these words, he was talking about money. He was talking about possessions. And he says, seek first. And the apostle Paul came along later and again in various places. But in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, he says, now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will be made. Again, it's all throughout the Bible. And there are more references in these. But what is it? Well, what's tithing? Well, it's really this simple. Tithing is this. It's every time I get 10 of these, I take one of them as my starting place and I give it back to God. That every time I get 10 of these, I'm reminded that God, it all comes from you. Everything that I have, it all belongs to you. But because I'm trusting you and because I want you to be the Lord of all and that's the direction that I'm heading and it's where I want my heart to go, I'm going to take one and I'm going to return it to you because I trust you and that's what I want the attitude of my life to be. Hey, let me just be real straight with you personal here for a second. No one ever taught me how to tithe. And I realize that that maybe is where some of you are today. No one ever taught me this. And I grew up in a great church with great parents that taught me a whole bunch of hopefully really cool things. But nobody ever taught me how to tithe. And so in my life, you know, in middle school and on into high school and college, you know, I might have seen the offering plate go by once in a while and every once in a while put some money in or something, but I never really learned how to tithe. And so it wasn't until a couple of years after Jenny and I were married that, that we started tithing. And it was hard at first. It's hard to start. I mean, it's a change of life. I mean, you have to change the way that you do things. And we were scared and frightened and a little anxious, you know, probably a lot like where some of you are today, because I mean, this is real stuff. And you know, but Jesus taught this for us. And so one day, I mean, cold turkey, we started tithing and we started giving and we started setting aside 10% and giving it to the church that we were serving at at the time. And again, it was tough, but over time it became a habit for us. And we learned the value of giving from your first because if you wait till your leftovers, that, that's tough. I mean, if you give from your leftovers, it's really tough. And so it's important to give first, you know, before it's all gone. And, and let me just say this, after 11 years, 
11 years of giving, at least I think I'm finally getting to the place where I'm really starting to see the blessings that come with giving. And again, it's not that it's not hard once in a while, but as God, as God has grown us over the last 11 years and we've, we've grown beyond the 10% to where we're giving more than that now to, to Genesis Church, and I don't tell you that out of pride. I just want you to know the work that God has been doing in us. And not only do we give regularly on Sundays, but we also give to things like Next, and then we give to church plants, and we give to missionaries and friends that we know, other organizations that are helping people find their way back to God. But here's what I have found. I am blessed, and I have everything that I need. I mean, we have one debt in our life. It's our house. We drive cars that run. Our kids are healthy. Um, we go out to dinner. My wife stays home by choice. Uh, we take vacations. Malachi 3.10 is a big deal for me because we were testing God in this. And I stand here today only as a witness of saying that when God speaks something in his word, it is truth, and therefore you and I get to hold him to it. And he will never go back on his truth. And it's the truth for all of us. Now, questions and comments that come up around this issue of tithing, and I've got to go through these kind of fast because we're losing time, but you know, some questions and comments that I think that come up around this issue. Number one is, do we tithe on the net or do we tithe on the gross income? All right? Um, personally, I, I believe it's a gross issue. You know, if you're going to go fill out an application to, to get a car, uh, you're going to probably put down your gross uh, income. And so uh, do you want all of God's blessings or do you want the net level of his blessings in your life? I, I think it's a gross kind of issue here. Um, well, some might say, well, I don't like what the Bible has to say about this. I don't like stoplights either. You know, I don't like red lights, you know. But if I don't pay attention to them, I might not make it home today and someone else might not either. You know, God has a prescribed way of living for us that you might not understand from the beginning, but over time it makes sense. And again, he wants the best for us. He wants us to be able to say that we trust him in all things. Uh, another one, can I give 10% and break it up over a group of different organizations and different places? I'm just going to give you my opinion here because I know that there are different arguments when it comes to this. But what do I personally believe? I believe the first 10% goes to the church. I, I believe that that's how Scripture directs us. Does God want us to give over and above to other organizations like Campus Crusade for Christ and Compassion and Young Life and the Crisis Pregnancy Center and missionaries that are serving around the world? Absolutely. You know, and I hope that you're doing that and I hope that you'll reach out and support others as God leaves you. But I'm just saying, when it comes to me personally, I believe that the first 10 goes to the church and then as God grows us, we give over and above to these other places. Uh, some will ask, how, how, well, how can I give? How can I get started in this? Well, we take an offering here every Sunday. You know that. And uh, if you write a check, uh, it's going to be accounted for. We'll find your name on the check. Uh, if you take an envelope and put cash in it, write your name on it. Uh, and in that way, we can keep an account and you can get a giving statement from the church at the end. Uh, we have online giving. Uh, we know that for some of you, that's really important. So you can go to our website and sign up for online giving. I, I know there are a lot of people that just through their online banking, you know, your bank will send a check. And we've got many of those that arrive uh, during the week. Some people will say, well, I'll tell you, I, I don't trust the church. You know, I don't trust the church that I attend. And I just want you to know that I can sympathize with you if you found yourself in a situation in the past where you feel like you were deliberately misled or miscommunicated to. I, I want you to know that we do our very best here. And we've got an outstanding finance team that has made very great practice and would be happy to tell you about our accounting practices and all the safeguards that we put into place. And if you've got questions, feel free to ask and we'll get you with those people that can best answer your questions. But do this. If you don't trust the church that you attend or wherever that may be, don't let that stand in your way forever. 
I mean, you need to get to a place where you can trust, you know, the work that God wants to do in your life and you can trust, you know, the church you attend. Well, some might say, I I don't make enough. Well, again, we're not talking about an amount here. That's why Jesus gave us a percentage. Uh, It's why he gave it to us as a starting place. And so it's for adults and students and and kids. And, And let me just say this. If you're a student, don't do what I did. I mean, I, I didn't know about this. I didn't get started into this until after I was out of college and after I got married. Um, you know, you might say, well, I only make $25 a week. What does that really matter? Well, it's real easy. It's $2.50. I mean, you can do the math. Again, it's a percentage. It's a practice. It's setting my heart in the right direction. I mean, we're teaching our kids this, uh, Joel and Luke right now. We've got these jobs around the house that they have to do. We don't call them chores, but we call them jobs. And every time they do something, they have to make a little tally mark on the refrigerator. And for every tally mark, they get paid 25 cents. It's our house. We can choose the pay scale, you know, until they get a little bit older. It's a quarter, all right? We'll raise it eventually. But, but, but every Sunday they get paid, but we're teaching them that value of taking 10% and giving it to the church. Uh, it was funny because one day Luke made two bucks and uh, he, he came to Jenny with this quarter. And Jenny said, well, you don't have to give a quarter, Luke. I mean, you can, you can give two dimes. He goes, Mommy, I want to be real nice, all right? And so, you know, to anyone that wants to be real nice, you know, go for it. But again, it's not about the dollar amount. God's not interested in your money. It's your heart. God's after your heart. The last thing is my life is a mess. How do I do this when my life's a mess? Hey, I, I just want to stop here for a second because I know that this is a real issue for some people. And I know, again, that there are many people here today and you would love to do this and you would love to make this a habit in your life and you want to trust God. But right now you're just worried about whether you can buy groceries this week or not. Well, let's hear these words of Jesus. Again, we skipped over them a second ago in Luke 12, beginning in verse 22. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. And who of you can worry by, by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? You know, with these words here, God has reminded us, you know, that his father will take care of you and me, that you can have confidence in him. You can trust him no matter what the challenges are in your life. You know, to, you can get to this place where you can say, you know, God, my faith isn't in the money but my faith is in you. And and I know that some of you might be praying great big prayers in your life right now. We just came out of this series called Sun Stand Still. And for some of you, you're praying some Sun Stand Still prayers in the area of finances. But do you remember how Stephen Furtick communicated it? And you know how Joshua prayed the prayer for the sun to stand still, but then what had to happen? He had to march all night. I think for some of you, you might be praying for this financial blessing in your life but God might be waiting for you to take the first step. He might be waiting for that step of faith. And you'll be encouraged to know that we're not going to just talk about giving over the next couple of weeks, but next week we're going to talk about sending and saving and getting out of debt. Uh, In addition to that, we offer a great course here at Genesis called Financial Peace University. Again, because we believe the Bible has something to say about saving and living and getting out of debt, and there's some information on that in your worship program. But no matter where you are, No matter how much or how little you may have, my challenge for everyone here is the same. It's a challenge to start tithing in 2012. And if you need a starting date, finish the series with us on February 5th. Make February 12th the first day that you begin tithing and give to your local church. Now, real fast, why? Why does God direct us in this way? Why does it have to be about giving and money? You know, it's kind of like what we talked about last week. I don't know why, but our God chooses to partner with us in the work that he's doing in this world. 
and in many times and in many situations, he's using our resources to help people find their way back to God. And that's what's been happening here at Genesis. Uh, What's your faithful giving allowed to happen over the last year? Uh, Children, students, men and women coming to know Jesus Christ. 56 people baptized here since this summer. Uh, An awesome Gen Kids ministry, a growing student ministry. Uh, We're investing in kids and teens and families and marriages and poverty right here in our own community. Uh, Your faithful giving enables us to hire staff, renovate buildings, and to launch a brand new campus. Uh, Your giving provides resources to buy bagels and and print bulletins and and pay for batteries that go in microphones and to replace light bulbs when they go out uh, in the room. Uh, Your giving allows us to turn on the heat and to turn on the air when necessary, uh, to buy curriculum for connection groups and to prepare and plan for worship services that your dad or your sister or your neighbor might finally show up with you and attend one day. Because of your giving, we've collected $156,000 in 2011 over and above the tithe for our next expansion project. We finished phase one and we didn't take on any debt in the process. In addition, we gave away $135,000 to other ministry partners who are helping people find their way back to God. And to those of you who have been giving faithfully and tithing and giving sacrificially, I want to say thank you. I mean, you have no idea what your giving allows. And for those of you that have been trying and you've been trying to be consistent but maybe have, have fallen off or whatever, I want to say thank you for trying. I know that it's hard. And for those of you that have given occasionally or felt God stir in your life in one way or another and given over and above or just maybe given one time, I want to say thank you because you have no idea how God is using your resources to help people find their way back to Him. But I can't help but wonder what our combined potential would be if we all got this. And as I heard one person say, he said, you know, if every Christian in America tithed today, we could take care of poverty. We could go to the government and say, you know what, we got this taken care of. This is a church issue. We could do this. How many campuses could we start? How many more people could we help find their way back to God? Why does God ask us to give tithe? Well, again, he's using it. He's using it for great things, but he's also using your giving to draw you closer to him. Because every time you give, you're setting your heart in a direction where you're saying, God, I trust you. I trust you to be the Lord of all. And so, again, I want to challenge you to start giving in 2012. Start tithing February 12th. Next week, Steve's going to come back and talk about the importance of of having a plan. And in a couple of weeks, I'll finish up. And we're going to talk about the blessings that are promised to us through Scripture in our giving. But I'll end with this. I love you guys. I do. And uh, I love the great work that he's doing in your life and in my life and in this church. And I just want you to know that when I stand up here, um, God's been working on my heart with this issue too. I get a one-week head start. And I am not your perfect example today. I'm just trying to be here faithfully teaching what the Word of God says to us. And and I want this for your life. And and when you know it's hard and when you realize and understand that it's hard, hey, it's John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave And who of us could ever outgive God? Can't do it. It's a love that's free. Can't buy it. You can't earn it. It's there for anybody. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for Jesus. And we thank you for the life that he's called us to do. And it's, uh, it's a pretty big step. And as hard as it is to come back to issues like these, we know that it's a real issue. And and I know that for every person here today, including my own, where it's an issue, there's a story behind it. And it's a need issue. It's a trust issue. It's a heart issue, God. I mean, we're imperfect people. We need Jesus, and we need Him more than ever. 
And so, God, I pray for your spirit now and for your continued work in our heart and in our life. And I I pray that whatever you had in mind for us to hear today, that we'd be able to take that. And again, you would do that heart surgery on us because we want to be able to say, I trust God. I trust him for all things. God, lead us from here. Make us great people of faith and trust. We thank you for Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and that that love and that forgiveness is free. It can never be purchased. You've already taken care of it. And for those that are here today that don't know that love, I pray that they'd see it as available and ready in their lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.